0: book of Psalms, the Psalter, has all kinds of variety of poetry and music, and um, a great number of the Psalms are testimonies, and it's certainly appropriate for us to sing testimonial-type songs, but I am thankful as well for those that just don't even focus on me and what I think about this or that, but just point us right to the Lord and say, great is our Lord, <clears throat> and lift him up, and I'm appreciative of that ministry tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, in our Bibles this evening, and the extended theme of our Sunday evenings has been uh, our attempt at articulating a philosophy of ministry statement and if you've been with us from the beginning you know that we started in the book of ephesians in the first three chapters where we learned that god's final destination for every local church is the praising of his own glory and we started right at the beginning of chapter one where we saw what god the father is doing he is doing in this age by christ and he's doing it through the body that he's prepared for christ the church But he is doing it for that repeatedly stated ultimate purpose of praising his glory that starts Ephesians chapter one And it finishes chapter three unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end That's what God wants to do through every local church Then chapter four as you know begins with exhorting us to conduct walking in a way that contributes to the fulfilling of that calling walk worthy of that vocation so conduct that is contributing to the glory of god the fulfilling of our calling now we are still in that broader section when we get to activities that call for and will require a yielding to the influence of the holy spirit you can look back at chapter 5 if you're in chapter 6 and verse number 18 Uh, Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled. Allow the Spirit to take more and more possession of you. And in that context, verse 22, the conduct of a wife is highlighted. Then in verse 25, the conduct of a husband. In chapter 6, verse 1, children. Chapter 6, verse 4, fathers in particular. So, in the flow, conduct that glorifies God will necessitate the influence of the Spirit of God. And one of the ways it will be seen is in God-honoring families. And in our particular guidepost uh, uh, stated in our philosophy of ministry, we've articulated it this way. We believe that a special target of our evangelism and discipleship must be God-honoring marriages that bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and what we've observed on the other side of the text, and this, this family emphasis, in, in verse number 10 of chapter 6, is a call, notice, to prepare to battle. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the armor. ...that you may be able to stand against the wiles of who? The devil himself is mentioned in this spiritual conflict. So, so our more specific theme in terms of the emphasis on the family... ...has been families in the battle for the glory of God. What we have in our New Testament teaching in the most extended section... ...as we have it here in Ephesians... ...is not just a seminar on how to have a happy home... Okay, it's not, uh, you know, just uh, how to get along better and and make it through life better in your home. It's really about how can we glorify God, be to the praising of his unique excellence through the relationships in our home. And so as we move into chapter 6 tonight and focus on children, what kind of conduct on the part of children will contribute to the glorification of God. And you can see the answer for yourself. It's really simple in verse number 1. Children do what? Children obey your parents. Now that word obey comes from a combination of two Greek words put together. The the first one means to hear. and the second one uh, has reference to being under another object. Alright, so obedience, if you just said, what is obedience? So if I am talking just kind of the strict literalness of the word, obedience is hearing under. Alright, now, it's interesting that obedience starts with hearing because we're all familiar with the concept of selective hearing, right? Okay, if I, you know, if we're waiting for some hopeful news... It's amazing how attentive we can be. Wait, what, did mom say pizza's ready? <laughs> okay, especially in our case, mom's homemade pizza, <clears throat> is it ready? And, and people can come from everywhere, and they have for years when they hear that the food is ready. But, but it's amazing, you know, how hard it is to hear mom when I suspect she might be saying something that I maybe don't want to hear. Like, you know, can somebody take out the garbage? I need these dishes done. <clears throat> um, whatever it may be. And I'm illustrating it at, at really basic levels, but we know the concept, right? If I'm hopeful that it's news I want to hear, boy, I can really listen. But, <clears throat> but it's amazing how I can be. I hope they're not talking to me. I mean, <clears throat> what? And, and just stay away. Right? You know what obedience starts with? And I, I'm, I'm saying this again from the smallest of the young people, young people children. <clears throat> the right response is to say yes, ma'am, while you're on your way to here. It's not stay back in your room and make mom come to you and get louder and louder and louder. I didn't. What? Honestly, it's no excuse. I didn't hear you is no excuse for so-called disobedience because not listening is right at the heart of what disobedience is it starts with hearing and it means that we really give attention to what our parents are saying and then the second part of that the position of being under again points to submission so so obedience involves submission to your parents words you hear them and you get under them and i wasn't sure if i'd settle into this tonight but i ended up coming back and and sometimes we just need uh, to have some foundations pointed to and i want to remind us that when god created this universe he ordained that submission to authority be interwoven into every realm of life. Um, at birth, and we're exploring this tonight, children enter this world under the authority of parents. Um, as parents enlist the help of others to, to teach their children in any arena, those children are under the authority of teachers. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, you don't need to turn to any of these in this section, but, but the Apostle Paul said that, that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth Nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under governors and tutors until the time appointed of a father. Parents enlist the help of others in the education of our children. And as they delegate that authority, children come under the authority of those teachers. When a a woman uh, marries, there's a transfer of authority under her husband. But right here in Ephesians 5, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And, of course, men aren't off the hook because they must submit to bosses or managers or a supervisor in terms of their occupation. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, First Peter 2.18. And all of us are under civil authority. Three times in Romans chapter 14, civil leaders are described as the ministers of God. All believers, in particular, are under the authority of church leadership. And it really is remarkable that the Bible uses this very expression. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. There is a submission even to church leadership, those that are watching for your souls. And, and I'm reminding us of this truth tonight because though God ordained that submission to authority be, be interwoven into every realm of life, as one man wrote, and this goes back to almost 30 years ago when he wrote this, he said, and I'm quoting we are living in a society in which obedience is profoundly countercultural. Our culture shapers are determined to lower the age of self-rule for the young so teenagers and earlier can pursue unbridled freedom. The vast majority of society's restraints are viewed as assaults on individual freedom. Obedience in the mind of the popular culture suggests mindless conformity. The problem is further inflamed by many television sitcoms that portray parents as dull-witted incompetents and their children as dispensers of logic and good sense. Of course, as we know, he said, I remind you, he's saying this 30 years ago, Society is paying the piper, and thus in some schools, teachers have found simply that they cannot teach. Yes, in our society, obedience is almost profoundly countercultural. But this matter of authority structure is not just a fact of our human race, but it's present in the angelic realm as well. Michael is described in Jude 9 as an archangel. And there are other ranks of angels. Even earlier here in Ephesians in chapter 2, there are principalities and powers in heavenly places. So there are are ranks of angels. And brethren, even within the Godhead, as Romans 1 uses that, within the Trinity as we refer to it today, there is an authority structure the son of god prayed not my will but thine be done and submitted to the father who is referred to first corinthians chapter 11 as his head the head of christ is god brethren there is one personage without an authority over him and that is god the father and and the mess we are under at this very time. And you, if you said, Pastor, what mess are you talking about? Pick one. Just pick one. But the mess we are in at this very time involves one of the angels that God created saying in his heart, i will i will i will and the totality of all of those statements isaiah 14 is i will have his position and the devil has been executing a campaign ever since to compel others to join him in his rebellion and attempted overthrow of god and we could trace it out much further But he has been so successful that the prophet Isaiah could write, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to what? We have turned everyone to his own way. Now look, the problem that any of us have with submission to any authority is the tendency of our own depraved nature to pursue my own way. There is a way that seems right unto a man. And that's the way we've gone. And brethren, this pursuit of my own way is really the fundamental sin that every man must repent of. All other sins are an expression of this one. Rebellion, disrespect, disregard of earthly authority figures, whether we're talking parents or teachers or husbands or bosses or civil servants or or spiritual leaders, they're all sins. All of them but like all other sins, they're expressions of this fundamental one that is living my life my way. And those who persist in refusing to submit to authority don't escape it. And I want to say that again. You can persist in refusing to submit to authority, but you don't escape it. Even in this life, you end up in, behind jail bars. And brethren, I'm saying this on the authority of the Word of God, I'm not just trying to be provocative tonight. But if you refuse to submit to God's authority, you'll end up in hell in the life to come. You can resist authority, but you cannot escape it. God has interwoven it in every realm of life. Now, children, what is clear in the scripture is that the primary figure god has delegated authority over you to is to your parents and that's the place he wants you to learn it first and i'm not going to have us go back through or turn back to the ten commandments tonight because i think we can walk through and make a couple observations but right here paul says children obey your parents and the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first what first commandment all right he's hearkening back to which commandment do we remember which one it is of the ten commandments it is the fifth commandment all right exodus 31 verse 18 talks about ten commandments written by the finger of god on two tables of stone and there are about 15 references to two tables in those ten commandments and and it's very clear to see a distinction of emphasis So if you kind of think back through with me, the first commandment says thou shalt have what? Thou shalt have no other God. So that commandment is specifying Jehovah God as the one object of our worship. The second commandment says no what? "No, No graven images or making of any likeness of anything. That is that is a reference to the means that we use to to worship him We're not to worship him through things that can be manipulated with our hands and through figures We're to worship him through the attributes. He's declared himself to be in his word So the first commandment is the the proper object Which is jehovah god the means we use to worship him the third commandment calls for a certain manner Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in what? In vain. And the flip side of that is, if we're not worshiping him in a light, common, flippant manner, we are worshiping him in what kind of manner? In a reverent manner. So, the one right object, right? The means to worship the right object. The, the, The manner and the spirit with which we worship him. And even in the fourth commandment, It has a reference to a specific time to worship Him. And worship should be daily, but God calls on His people to set aside a day out of every seven to worship Him. Those are all specifically Godward. If I pick up on the other side of Commandment 5 at Commandment 6, there's a clear change to our relationship to other men. For instance, in Commandment 6, we're not to do what to men? We're not to murder them and commandment seven we're not to commit adultery against them and commandment eight to steal from them or lie to them or to covet what they possess you can see that that there is a change in that all right but the fifth commandment comes right after the four that are specifically godward and the five that are specifically related to man so which one is, is the fifth one a part of? Which of the two tables? And actually, there's debate about that. That is, if you picked up commenta- uh, commentaries and read them, the, the commandment to honor your father and mother, I, I have one here. I, I printed out his whole statement. He said, personally, we incline decidedly to the former, the first table. Because, he says, parents stand to us in the place of God while we're young. Because in the scripture, parents are never regarded as our neighbors on equality. Because each of the first five commandments contain uh, the phrase, the Lord thy God, which is not found in the remaining five. So he, he gives that argument. And I actually did not do a tally. I, I actually think that a majority tend to regard it as part of the second table. But they all talk about the transitional nature. Right? And they all talk about this one as really like being a hinge of the Ten Commandments. Because the two tables, again, are intricately related. And and what it's saying is this. This fifth one is strategically located to indicate that the parent-child relationship and a man's relationship to God are intricately related. You, You cannot... Be right with God and not be right with your parents. They go together, and this one is right at that bridge to talk about a man's relationship to God, a man's relationship to other people. Anyone that is not right with the earthly authority God has ordained in your life is not right with God. And in addition to all of that, and I know I'm underscoring it here, but another witness of the Ten Commandments to just how central this matter is of our parents is just the whole, the whole pattern of the way that the Ten Commandments address certain arenas. For instance, and we, and we were there in the Sermon on the Mount today. In the Sixth Commandment, the Sixth Commandment declares, Thou shalt not, say it again with me, thou shalt not what? Okay. Thou shalt not murder. Okay? But Jesus said... Not only is murder forbidden, but the entertaining of certain angry thoughts, right? And the uttering of certain insulting words. That's also forbidden, okay? In the seventh commandment, the seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not, what? Commit adultery, okay? But Jesus goes on to say, But I'm saying that you can violate that by the the way you look, looking with a lustful intent. Right? but but what that is, what the way the Ten Commandments treat this is that they tend to go right to the apex. okay? <clears throat> Everything else is, is under the surface, and angry thoughts and insulting words, actually, if you let that brew in your heart, it can lead to what? murder. Okay? Looking and touching can trigger the trap and actually lead to what? Lead ultimately to adultery. All right, brethren, in the same way, it is sin against God to disobey any properly delegated authority figure in our lives. But if you want to talk about sinning against authority, the greatest sin in this arena For anyone is for a child to disobey the words of their mother and father in the home to which God has placed them. So, children, conduct on your part begins with obedience to your parents. And I do want you to notice the position in which we're to obey our parents. Look again at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in what? In the Lord. Now this is a reference to the child's relationship to the Lord, right? This is something that is specific to Christian children. When a child is very young and and properly disciplined, they can learn to obey on account of a wholesome sense of the fear of consequences. Unsaved children can be taught the need for and appropriateness of obeying their parents. I I mentioned to somebody last week, um, sorry Samuel, uh, to use a Samuel illustration. I I, I mean, the other kids weren't around, but my wife, grandparents could all testify. Samuel was by far our just worse. I mean, he was the nastiest, most disobedient, (laughs) the biggest attitude, and um the worst day of the week was sunday and of course at the time you know we're church planting missionaries in nova scotia <clears throat> we really didn't have a nursery for in the early days and my wife is there with <clears throat> with three kids and and the oldest is just being a royal pain sunday after sunday and karen gives me the full report and um and so i go to see he's already in bed and I'm going to spend some time with him, and, and, um, and we are going to have some discipline for the accumulation of the day that daddy hadn't been able to get to. And, and somewhere I just said to him, you know what, I mean, sin is sin, but on Sunday, of all days, you're, it's the worst. And I, I just said, I just wonder if the devil even isn't using you to distract mom and others. And so we, we had the appropriate discipline, and, and Karen came in to say goodnight to him, and Karen said, so what did Daddy say? And she has it written down in a journal because it was so classic. Samuel said, Daddy said he's going to spank the devil out of me. <laughs> well, that wasn't an exact quote of what Daddy said. And I, I've said before, I wish it was that easy <laughs> that that could happen. Uh, but, but children can learn because of fear of consequences. But when a child becomes old enough to choose to love God. A new and higher motive develops for obedience to parents. This is what Paul's talking about here. One evidence of their choosing God for themselves, one evidence of their being in union with Christ and fellowship with him is that they have a growing desire to obey mom and dad because it's the will of God and it's the pleasure of God and they want to please God. Now, young people, listen carefully. One way people will be able to discern whether or not you really love God is the way you respond to your moms and dads. Children, obey your parents in the Lord from a position of your own relationship with the Lord because you know what pleases the Lord and because of your relationship with the Lord. Demonstrate that by doing right to your mom and dad. And then I want you to notice not only the activity that glorifies God is obedience. The position children render that to the Lord. But then notice that the spirit which accompanies this God-glorifying obedience is honor. And you can see it again. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor thy father and mother. Now the Greek word that is translated here, honor, is a word... That means to estimate the value of something. The Hebrew word that is actually in the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother in the fifth commandment, is a word that means to give weight to something. All right? When we we honor someone, we're giving weight to them. You might even say, why do you give so much weight to so-and-so's opinion? Or the flip side of that, you know, they treat me so lightly. Okay this is the concept okay to to give weight to somebody is we hold them in high esteem we elevate them to a position of importance and reverence and the bible is clear young people that honor can actually be seen even in just our our gestures okay our our nonverbals This is the attitude that was displayed by Joseph when he was second in command in Egypt. (laughs) You can go back and read. Everybody except for Pharaoh bowed to Joseph. But when Joseph's old dad arrived in Egypt, Joseph bowed to Jacob. It's the attitude displayed by King Solomon 1st Kings chapter 2 and verse 19 He didn't bow to anybody But 1st Kings 19 listen, the, the irony of this is just is amazing Solomon got off his throne Because his mother walked in And the king got off his throne To bow to his mother Reverence can be seen in our gestures. Reverence can be seen certainly and and displayed in our words of the virtuous woman. Her children rise up and call her blessed. But there is a severe penalty in the law for those who flagrantly violated this admission. This admonition, Exodus 21 and verse 17 says, He that curseth his father or mother shall be surely put to death. Leviticus 20 and verse 9, and, th- and this one really stands out to me. It says, For everyone that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And then it goes on to say, He hath cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. So if you, if you hear that, you say, You cursed your father or mother, you shall be put to death. Man, what's the rationale for that? The rationale is, you cursed your father and mother. Your blood's on you. It's like, what else do you need? It's like, so shocking. You shouldn't need any other rationale. A kid cursed his mom and his dad. That's enough. Proverbs 20 and verse 20. Whoso curseth his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. So... So it can be seen in our gestures. It'll be seen in our words, heard in our words. And it's interesting that you can actually even just see it in the look, in the look of the eye. Proverbs 30 and verse 17 says, The eye that mocks at his father and despises to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out and the young eagles shall eat it. The eye... You can actually see reverence in the eye or you can see taking lightly in the eyes. So conduct that glorifies God in reference to parents involves reverential gestures, reverential words, reverential looks. And I trust on people that we're actually taking some inventory tonight. How am I doing at hearing how am I doing at, at getting under what I hear? What, what is my response communicating about my relationship to the Lord? Am I communicating honor and am I communicating reverence? Now, if you struggle in this arena, you do want to remember that God gives extra incentive and I don't know how else to say that, but, I mean, Paul even refers to it right here, right? Look at what he says again in verse 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with what? Promise. And here's part of the extra incentive, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And, and he's referring back there to, again, the fifth commandment, which did state an extra promise, And that promise to the the people of Israel was uh, was a promise that involved longevity and prosperity in their land, if you go back there. And and the well-being of a New Testament believer and the New Testament church isn't something physical and material. I will say that obedient children to this day are a treasure to whatever Part of a social structure they are part of they're a treasure to a nation They're a treasure to a church and they are a treasure to a home But in addition to that He does just say here it may be well with you. I don't know what's all involved there But this is God himself saying look life is going to be better for you if you honor your mom and dad it's as if God says, listen to me. You've got my word on it. But I do want to have you turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And we won't be there long. But I want you to see this, this one place where there's some other incentive. Proverbs, as you know, is the one book of the Bible written to young people. It's uh, my son mentioned, I think, somewhere between fifteen to 20 times I have the markings in another Bible um, and and others are here ye children so i mean this is a book that is written specifically to young people and and when you start to explore the themes it becomes clear that in that case it's in proverbs case it's not to the youngest but probably older teens into the early early adolescent years okay and the purpose for the book is verse number two it's to know wisdom and instruction and he's going to say that multiple times over Um, God wants young people to live skillfully. Is the idea behind wisdom. Live skillfully. Good understanding gives, do we know this? Proverbs 30 and 15, good understanding gives favor, but the way of the transgressor is, okay, he wants you to be able to live skillfully and be in favorable circumstances. But the way of a transgressor is a hard life. In this book, He lays in verse 7 a certain foundation, and that is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. But upon that foundation, the first direct exhortation in a book to young people about how to live skillfully and reap favorable circumstances is verse 8. Look at it. My son, interesting, do what? Hear the instruction. Of thy father and forsake not the what? Any of you have moms that lay down the law? <laughs> okay? Hear your dad. Really listen attentively and get under the law of your mom. All right? And that's not easy. It's not easy for anybody, right? Every adult in here can say it's not easy for us either. To have anyone lay down the law to us. That's not easy. But what I'm saying, here's another place. He gives incentive. Here's some incentive to you young people. Verse 9. They shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. That is, your dad's instruction and your mom's law. If you'll respond right, they'll be an ornament of grace. I mean, ornament. What do we do with ornaments? Okay, When you put an ornament on a christmas tree to dress it up right so that it it looks beautiful why do people wear jewelry? And In our day the way the the kind of jewelry some people are wearing and the places they're wearing it you're like God, Why are they wearing that jewelry there right? Okay, but they're wearing it because they think it enhances what? They think it enhances their appearance. The word of God is saying, listen, that young people who have the right relationship to their mom and dad, they are actually attractive. It enhances your appearance in the eyes of others. Now, you could be sitting there going, ah, okay, you know what it is, don't you, to see a young person at any age in public blow off their mom. And everybody cringes at that. that. That's yucky, no matter where you see it, no matter who's doing it. You're like, uh, that's not right. But young people that, that look adults in the eyes, young people that have reverential gestures and responses to their dads and moms, now those people are attractive. Not just in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of a society. And then, what's this? And chains about thy neck. And now we have a, we have a bigger disconnect, um, but we have a couple Old Testament references. I don't have the time to go there, but I mentioned one of them tonight. When Pharaoh promoted Joseph to second in command, he did a number of things, including giving him a robe and and other accessories, but one of the things that he did was he put gold chains around the neck of Joseph when he promoted him to second-in-command, and the Bible makes that connection. The same thing is what uh, Daniel was promised in Daniel chapter 5, that that he would, <clears throat> he read um, the, and, and gave the interpretation of the handwriting on the wall he was promised that he would be given all of these marks and he would be put on a, he'd be put on a horse and he'd be given the gold chain and he'd be uh, paraded through the town and everybody would see he's second in command. You know what this is a symbol of? This is a symbol of somebody being given leadership. Somebody being given leadership. Here's what happens. A young person especially a christian young person out of their relationship with the lord they choose to hear and they choose to honor that young person through their gestures through their words through even the look of the eye and through the whole way they orient themselves to their parents that young person is attractive in the eyes of others And they just continually rise to the top. They continue to be in positions of leadership and influence. And and that's true. Proverbs is saying in life in general. But young people, do you want to have an opportunity to have a platform to make a difference for the cause of Christ? Then do write to your mom and dad now. Do write to your mom and dad now. The Bible just continues to give incentive. Now, if you really know the Lord, the greatest, the greatest incentive of all will be the modeling of your life after the Lord Jesus. And I think all of you know of the occasion when Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. And he had gone with his family, as you know, to Jerusalem from Nazareth. And he's there, and he's interacting with the greatest Jewish scholars. And his parents came back, and, and I think we're safe to say, his parents wrongfully rebuked him. But even though his parents were limited by the consequences of human finiteness and even human what? Even human sinfulness. And, and I, w- I want to have you think about this. I mean, I think as parents, tender parents here, we want and, and would be so pleased and thrilled to see our children grow beyond us in terms of a life that is conformed to Christ and reflects Him. Sometimes, that does really happen. Early. I mean, I, I have, when I was a youth pastor of a couple hundred teens, I could point to a number of them that were more spiritually mature than their parents. And sometimes, some of the things their parents said to them, or the ways their parents handled them. I mean, I like, just behind closed door in my own heart, I wanted to go deal with those parents. You turkeys. Do you know how hard you're making it on these kids? But you know what I kept saying every time, even when, even when I was thinking, I can't believe that, Dad. What I kept saying, not just because I had to say it, But because it was right, I kept saying to young people, trust God to work through your dad. Trust God and do right with your mom. Trust God. Now, listen, there has never been a bigger gap in any of our lives, and there never will be, than the gap there was between the Lord Jesus, even when he was 12, and his sinful parents. He had no sin. And there was no finiteness in him. And his parents could miss it. And in this case, they issued a form of rebuke where they kind of missed it. But what did he do? You know the account in Luke. It says, and he came down to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And the very next statement is, and Jesus what? Grew. (laughs) Grew. He grew. Now, young people, that's not natural. Okay, it isn't natural. And the Bible's the the Bible, even by giving us the incentive, again and again, is saying, This is not easy. This is not natural. But yielding to parents, even when we have a pretty good idea, our parents are missing it, is Christ like. And it is According to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, it is an evidence of yielding to the influence of the Spirit of God. And that kind of conduct is glorifying to God. And that's the greatest motivation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?